eternally in his place under the extraordinarily wonderful rule of God's blessing. Now, as we do that, one of the things that we've been seeing throughout is that the scriptures actually point us to Jesus. The Old Testament is leading us towards the expectation of Jesus and the New Testament fleshes out who Jesus is, what he taught, what he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God and his rule as king over all that God has made. And uh, I want to point to a couple of verses before we get into Revelation and this is in Luke chapter 24, it's after the resurrection and there are some people here with Jesus and uh, in Luke 24 verse uh, 25 Uh, This is what Jesus says to them. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's referring back to their Old Testament. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? This was the plan of God. In other words, he's saying to the disciples, "You, you should have got this. If you'd been reading your Bibles, you'd know that these things need to happen. And then verse 27, and beginning with Moses, and I think that's a way of saying Genesis through to Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, the rest of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I I hope that we've been beginning to see that as we look back at this ancient document, the Old Testament, that this is a book that is really fundamentally about Jesus. Of course, historically, Jesus enters into the scene when we get to Matthew But that's what the Old Testament is preparing us for. It's what it's all about. Now, they hear Jesus for quite a while, teaching on these things, explaining what had to happen concerning himself from the Bible. And then Jesus uh, enables them to understand that it's actually him that has been explaining this to them. They didn't realise till this point. And uh, in verse 32, these people that have been listening to Jesus say these words. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Let me read that again. Were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, I would like us to be prayerful that our hearts might burn within us as we come to see the glory of Jesus in the Old and the New Testament, that God might ignite our hearts so that we're really on fire because we have met and appreciated more deeply Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I think the danger is that we can kind of treat the Bible as any other book, that we can treat the scriptures as a piece of history, that we can feel like we're just reading some kind of religious document that's expected of us. But what we're reading in reality is God's word to us that is all about the most important figure in all of history, and for all eternity, who invites us into relationship with him. That's extraordinary, isn't it? So let us pray, and and you might like to join with me in prayer now, that God will ignite our hearts, not just this morning, not just in response to this talk, but as we get into his word, that he will set us on fire as we understand Jesus more clearly. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we do pray this morning that you will ignite our hearts by your spirit as we see Jesus more clearly in your word and we ask this in Jesus name. Now if you've got your outlines open there I just encourage you just to uh, see the shape of what we're looking at. Uh, The Bible text is not there I'll read out some verses from the last chapters of the Bible 
But I want you to see that we discover in Revelation 21 and 22 a very clear picture of God's people in God's place under God's rule of blessing. So a few things, first of all, in terms of discovering God's people. Uh, In Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, I'll read them. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, just a, a little word of instruction before we get into this. It's almost impossible to paint a picture, a two-dimensional or even create a three-dimensional picture that makes sense with Revelation. And uh, I, I need to be careful with this statement, but I think one of the most helpful guides for reading the book of Revelation sensibly is to read it with a controlled imagination. Now, not an uncontrolled imagination, because you'll go off into Gaga land, but a controlled imagination that is shaped by the Old Testament. Now, maybe one day, God willing, we'll get into this book of Revelation as a whole together, but it's kind of images laid upon images and intertwined with images, and most of them have a background in the Old Testament. So you see already there in verses 1 and 2 that the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is coming down from heaven, and this is a city, right, dressed as a bride. How do you get a city dressed as a bride? And you've got this interplay of images. And so if we, we've got our imagination, then what are the things we associate with a city? And what are the things we associate with a bride? And there'll be other images as well. Don't try and paint it. Okay, You're going to have a very weird painting. But they do help us to understand what's going on. And the first thing uh, we see here in the next verse, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place, place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 3, it's amazing what's being said here, because in fact five times in one verse, it shows our connection to God. Let me point it out for you. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. There's one, all right? And he will dwell with them. There's two. And they will be his people, three. And God himself will be with them, four. And he will be their God, five. You get the picture, don't you? In one verse, five times, we're told that God will be connected to his people. They will be his people. He will be their God. They will be precious to him. No more separation. Now, of course, the Old Testament from Genesis 3 to Malachi chapter 4 has been all about the separation how God has been distant from his people. He he tries to get close to the people, but the people, of course, have sin in their lives and it separates them from God. Now they will be with with their God and, and they will belong to their God. They'll be connected. They'll be the community of God. Now we also saw, as we go back, the picture of, of a, a, a beautiful bride. And, of course, this is a very intimate picture. Uh, I think that there is uh, two things that Bible readers probably struggle with in terms of gender here, and that is for um, women to be described as brothers of Christ or sons of God, because sometimes that's the cover-all phrase. But I think us blokes struggle with being the bride of Christ as well. You know, that's a little bit feminine. But the picture here is one of intimacy with God, with Jesus. We are the bride that is beautifully dressed, that is being prepared 
for God. In fact, back in chapter 19, we see rejoice and be glad and give God glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So we, we are described, God's people, as the bride of Jesus. And the beauty of this, you see, is that we've been, we've been prepared for a, a permanent union with Jesus. Is marriage a permanent thing? Well, it's intended by God to be a temporary thing. Did you realise that? Are those of you who are married, that it's not permanent? A bit daunting. Not that you are meant to be involved in serial marriages in this life. You're meant to stick with one person for life, but life is not all there is. We are united together to one person in this life, but the real picture of marriage, in fact the picture that Genesis 1 and 2 is preparing us for is not a marriage to a partner here in this life, but a marriage to Jesus for all eternity. And you see, whether we're married or not married in this life, if we belong to Jesus, then we have a husband. We, we have a partner. We have one for whom we've been created to be one flesh with. Our union with Jesus is to endure for eternity. Now, I know that that's a little bit of a weird idea for some of us, but it, it's got this picture here of us being made to belong to Jesus. Um, there's, there's another picture here of being God's people in chapter 21 and verse 27, the last verse of the chapter. Um, it, it says here that, that those who will enter the, the gates of, of, uh, of being in God's presence are only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, we could explore this idea. It comes up a few times in the book of Revelation. But again, it's, it's a picture of, of God knowing and securing and guaranteeing our place with him. Now, a few years back, uh, I was busy in the middle of the year. I often ran a conference and it tied me up. And uh, it was normally a good thing for my family to get away for a while, just to give them some space from me and me from them. Uh, so we could do what we had to do. And I, I remember booking, at least I thought I'd booked, for my wife and, and, and Grace and, and for Marcus, uh, a nice little retreat uh, down the coast in the Wollongong Surf Leisure Resort. Uh, and as far as I knew, they'd recorded the booking. They had the names there in their book. And uh, Fiona arrived with the kids down in Wollongong late at night and they opened the book to the date and their names were not written. just wasn't there. Now, you know, being a good husband, I'd obviously stuffed up somewhere along the line. Um, in fact, I had stuffed up because I had booked them in for a different week. It was my mistake. And, of course, they discovered that when they flicked backwards and forwards through the book. And uh, it's a nice story in the end because there were no places available for them at the inn. Uh, but there was an upgrade available which was given to them at no extra cost. So, you know, it was a great plan, wasn't it? But the point is, we don't have to secure our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, it doesn't depend on, on you getting the booking right because it's the Lamb's Book. That is, the Lamb is a picture of Jesus and it's focusing on Jesus' death because the Lamb is the sacrificial animal. The Lamb is the one that shed the blood. And our names, if we belong to Jesus, are written in his Book of Life by his blood, if you will, guaranteed by God himself. A very secure picture that we've got here, God's people united with Christ. 
So that's the image that we've got here at the end of Revelation. There's so much more to it, but there's just a glimpse of it. Secondly, it's made very clear that, that God's people are in God's place. So again, that first verse, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Uh, or verse 5, he says, He was seated on the throne, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What we've got in this final scene in Revelation is a picture of a new heavens and a new earth, things being renewed, things being restored, recreated. Um, And it's great news really because what it's doing is it's taking us back to the way that things were in the Garden of Eden where everything was good, 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 very good, And it's taking us forward to the very end of all things where we could say it's better, 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 best. right? So it starts good and it finishes as best. This new creation and this new heaven is is God's design to actually restore, to renovate, to fix up this world that is in such a mess. And it is in a mess. I mean, that's one of the easiest things to demonstrate. The Bible understands humanity because it shines a light on our corruption, our evil, the horror that's in our hearts and in our lives. And this creation, the Bible tells us, is groaning, wanting things to be fixed, and God promises to start over. Now, we're not sure exactly what the new creation will look like, but it will be good. I'm pretty sure that the idea of of sitting on clouds and strumming on harps uh, is not going to happen. Sorry, Chris, there might be harps there or Annie, but... um, I hope they'll also, if there are harps, I hope there's also rugby boards and surf, rugby balls and surfboards, alright? So, but it's a good picture. Um, I don't think we need to fear some of the nonsense that people come up with because it's a restored new creation. Um, in fact, there's all kinds of images and pictures to display this with rich association in the Old Testament. We've already seen the holy city. I won't go into the details, but there's all sorts of measurements there. Um, and if you try and, uh, do an architectural diagram of this holy city, one of the extraordinary things about it is you'll see that it's 12,000 stadia on the left or or on the side. It's 12,000 stadia going this way, but it's also 12,000 stadia going this way. It's a cube. This holy city is a cube. And you think, well, that's a very unusual city. But again... Numbers and symbols and so on in the book of Revelation, they're, they're not meant to be drawn up architecturally. So 12 is the number of God's people. It, it's the people of God that we understand. A thousand is a picture of completeness. So you've got 12 times a thousand. And, and we in English can say good, better, best. Uh, the way that they say that in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew idea is to actually repeat the thing three times. So what do they sing of God, that God is holy? No, that he is holy, holy, holy. In other words, he's the absolute holiest. So if this is a 12 times a 1,000 cubed, right? I kept thinking of squared, but it's cubed. In other words, it's this times this times this. This is the absolute, perfect, complete, never-ending people of God. Because it's not actually a city as such, but it's the idea of God's people being the city of God and God's people being that bride and and we've already seen that. Um, 
Is there a temple in heaven? Well, interestingly, we're told that there is no temple in heaven. Verse 22, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And friends, that is very good news. Because the temple was the place in the Old Testament where you went to meet with God, where sacrifices had to be made. But you know the thing about going to the temple? Is you never got to meet with God. You didn't. Because there was a curtain in the way. There were rooms that you had to go through. Only the high priest and only once a year and only after elaborate rituals could go into the holy of holies. And so the temple, yes, it was the place of worship, but it was also the constant reminder that you were not good enough for God. You couldn't get connection with God. There was no access to God. So to get rid of the temple, the place where you meet with God, is a good thing, but... God and the Lamb are the temple. In other words, God and the Lamb are the people, are the place where you meet with God. So God's people in God's place, that is a picture of direct access to God. This is not the removal of the sacrificial system. This is not the Old Testament. This is the fulfilment of everything. And, uh, and there's lots more to discover here about God's people in God's place and they are so often reminders of the very beginning. I don't know if you picked that up as we started the reading in chapter 21, but there's, there is language from Genesis here in Revelation. So I'll give you one example of this, the tree of life. So chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing uh, 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, and so on. Um, we're familiar with this idea, aren't we? The, the idea of the tree of life from Genesis. But this is an unusual tree, unusual for a variety of reasons. It's on both sides of the river of life. Uh, I don't know how that kind of works. It bears fruit... 12 times a year, that is every month. Again, let's not think in terms of calendar months. It's about 12. This is a tree of life for the people of God, the number 12. But extraordinarily here, and you won't pick this up by reading the NIV, uh, this is one of those quirky occasions where you actually need an absolutely consistent English translation or to be able to understand the original languages. But let me point it out to you. There are at least two words for tree. The normal word for tree is the word dendron, from which we get rhododendron. All right? We're familiar with that sort of word. At least I understand rhododendrons are plants, aren't they? Flowers, trees, bushes, something like that. Okay, dendron, that's the normal word for tree. The word that's used here is the word xulong. Xulong, okay? Now, that word gets used um, throughout chapter 22, three times of the tree of life. It's the xulong of life. Where else does that word get used? Well, two weeks ago we were looking at Galatians chapter 3 and we read from way back in the book of Deuteronomy about cursed is the one who hangs on and the new NIV quirkily says a pole. The old NIV said a tree. And we think, well, hang on, wasn't it a cross? It was a cross. It is a pole. It is a tree. And that's the word that's used here. I think we're to understand that access to the tree of life is through the tree of death. 
You get that? Access to the tree of life, eternity with God, is through the tree of death, that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What a wonderful thing that we can be God's people in God's place and notice also under God's rule of blessing. Um, it's interesting, a number of the, uh, the, the books and ideas that have hung the Bible together and helped us, and I think the first book for me was Graham Goldsworthy, Gospel and Kingdom, talks about God's people in God's place under God's rule. But I think the idea of, of being under God's rule needs fleshing out further. Because rule sometimes carries connotations for us of, of not necessarily generous or benevolent rule, but sometimes tyranny. And the reality with God and God's rule, the kingdom of God, is that it's not tyranny whatsoever, it's absolutely blessing. In fact, the promises that were made to Abraham, remember, was that they would be God's people, there would be zillions of them, that they would be in God's place in the land that, land that he had for them, and that they would be under God's blessing and be a blessing to others. So I think let's put these ideas together and we see God's people in God's place under God's rule of blessing. And we see that they are under the rule of God because one of the most dominant features here in this section and also right throughout the book of Revelation is the throne, the throne of God. And we see a picture of God seated upon the throne and often just joined together with that phrase is, and the Lamb. The one who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. In other words, God, the Creator, the Judge, the, the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, who is made King, who is our Saviour, who is our Lord. And this picture here of the throne of God and the Lamb is at the centre of all of God's purposes um, verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Um, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So there's no doubt at all that, that God is at the centre of everything, that Jesus is at the centre of everything and that he's made all things right. What was the problem back in Genesis chapter 3 that haunts the people for the rest of the Bible till you get to Jesus? The curse. We, de we deny God, we push God away, we reject God and the world is under a curse. It's a mess. It's a disaster. And we're told here explicitly there is no more curse. This is great news, friends. This is things being restored. This is being placed um, under God's blessing, no more curse. This is a blast of fresh air. This is the curse that God had placed on humanity being undone through the death of Jesus. And we saw that two weeks ago in Galatians 3. Now, there's huge implications of this. Um, come back to what I think, I'll, I'll kind of um, speak out of turn here, but I think this is my wife's favourite verse in the Bible. Um, in uh, chapter 21 and verse 4, it's a pretty good one. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is great news, isn't it? I tell you what, the, the longer I live, the more I appreciate this. Um, I've preached on Revelation a number of times. I've been right through the book on two occasions and picked sections out of it at different times. And the last time I preached on on Revelation chapter 21, I, I look back at my notes 
just the other day as I was thinking about this and I, I found that I had just discovered that my father had cancer. Um, it had only been a few weeks before and I thought, isn't this great news for Dad? There will be a day when there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more mourning. Um, I had no idea at the time that I had cancer growing in my own body. But I look forward to this day when God will restore everything. I'm sure that Christians in Iraq, in Syria, in the Sudan and in other places throughout our world look forward to this day. They're not living in such affluent, comfortable, hedonistic places that they think they've got heaven already, like so many of us Aussies. They look forward to the day when everything will be put right. This last week, um, Fiona and I and Ben and Mim were at a conference with a whole bunch of pastors from the network that, that Stormlow Church is a part of. And, and on the way home, we called in on, on a friend who has chronic fatigue. Um, he's 49 years of age. He has four children. He's had chronic fatigue now for 15 years. Uh, for the last 11 years, he hasn't been able to work. For the last six years, he's barely been able to get out of bed. He's able to manage only through grit and determination to spend 15 minutes a day up out of the bed because he knows that he must do that but if he does it, it's going to have consequences as well. And as we talked again and again, he was pointing me to heaven. He was reminding me of what he looks forward to, of the time when there will be no more chronic fatigue, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. There will be no more broken relationships. There will be no more grief that's associated with lost ones. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more crime. There will be no more inequality. No, we look forward to a day when, when everything will be put right as God plans to put it right. In fact, you get an image of this, I think, with the, the idea of the river of life. So the angel showed me, verse 1, chapter 22, the river of the water of life is clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I mean, it's hard to untangle all the imagery there, but, it, but it's fresh, it's pure, it's clean, it, it's... It's things being made right, isn't it? Here is the time of, of genuine healing. And, and Revelation pulls back the curtain and shows us a glimpse of the fact that God has an intention and he's actually fulfilled his intention through Christ already to put everything right once more. And that is a wonderful thing. God's people in God's place enjoying God's rule of blessing. That's the picture that we've got and it's a glorious picture. Now, friends, I want to ask you, as I ask myself, really, are we looking forward to that picture? Is there a kind of countdown of anticipation? Do we long for things to be put right like this? Do we look forward to the wedding of the Lamb? Interestingly, in, uh, in July 1983, uh, Fiona and I decided that we were going to count down to our wedding in, in December. And we worked out 150 days uh, and we're going to count backwards and we're going to read a psalm every day because that would keep us on track. You know, there's 150 of those. And it was really exciting to be able to work your way through those psalms and get close to the end 
the anticipation of the wedding, the anticipation of, of being united together, of, of, of starting a relationship for the rest of our lives. But friends, even greater than that, do we have that anticipation for the wedding of the Lamb, for the day when nothing will separate us from God, when all things will be put right? Well, let, let me finish here um, with the way the Bible finishes. And it finishes with prayer. So if you come with me to Revelation 22, of the last two verses of the Bible, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Now that's Jesus talking. Yes, I am coming soon, he says. And then John, who's writing this, says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He wants him to come. And then it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Friends, that is a great prayer, isn't it? Come, Lord Jesus. Do we pray that? Do we want Jesus to come to, to bring things to God's conclusion? Do we look around and see the suffering and the pain and, and the struggle, the tragedies, the evil, the greed, the, the, the friends with depression, with, the, with permanent pain? As I think of my friend Sean, as I, I look at people struggling and, and deeply troubled by life, when I see seriously broken lives, when I see people have been abused in ways that we couldn't imagine, do I pray, come Lord Jesus? Do you? But there's another prayer here, I think, at least implicit. And it's in verse 17. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. You see, there's not only a call to Jesus, there's a call to people to come to Jesus. Because the only way to enjoy this wonderful picture that God has in mind for the end, the only way to participate as one of God's people in his place under his generous rule of blessing is to come to Jesus. Now, I don't know you all personally. I'm gradually getting to know you as part of this church. You might be here for the first time. We might have never had a conversation. I honestly don't know what every one of you thinks about Jesus. There may be some of you who in your hearts know that look, you're holding back. You're actually keeping God at a distance. You've not come to the point where you're trusting in what God has done for you through Jesus and you know that you need to do that. And if that's you, then let me encourage you to come to Jesus. To give up whatever it is that you might be hanging on to because you'll get so much more in coming to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you'll be freed from trouble and suffering and difficulties in this life. No, we're told to expect that that will happen and it will continue and there will probably be even some difficult things because you're Christian. But the promise for all eternity is a wonderful picture of God's blessing. So friends, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus and for those of you who already had to live in the light of eternity, to speak in the light of eternity, to, to, to use your dollars in the light of eternity, to make decisions in the light of what God has planned for the end, to make your priorities in the light of God's picture for the new creation. And for those of you who are parents, let me urge you to have God's priorities for your children, not to short 
cut your, your kids, not to let them miss out because your priorities for them are only for this life, whether it's the great education, the great husband or wife, the, the, the great home, the great future, the great career. They're all temporary things. Now let's have eternal priorities for our kids. Let us rejoice as they get to know our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus by the Spirit of God. Well, friends, let's pray and and thank God for what He has done and is doing. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank You that Your plans have never been sabotaged, that all along You are pointing us to Your Son, Jesus, and that in Jesus Christ you have undone the curse and you have prepared a new creation, a new earth, a new heaven, a, a place where we can enjoy a relationship with you uh, for all eternity, enjoying your rule of blessing. May we long for this day. For those of us who at this point are not sure about it, please trouble our hearts. Don't let us rest until we come to understand one way or other the truth of this matter. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.